Welcome to the Como Politicast. I'm Jeff Pogela. Washington's new presidential primary is just around the corner, but there's already some backlash over the rules. And the coronavirus becomes the disease on Wall Street. We'll get to that, but first, major changes have come to how Washingtonians vote for president. Last year, the legislature moved up Election Day to the week after Super Tuesday, giving our state's voters a much greater say in picking party nominees. But there's a catch. You have to declare a party. I spoke about this with Washington Secretary of State Kim Wyman and how the process has changed. Uh, the biggest difference is both political parties are going to use the results from the presidential primary to allocate their delegates to their national convention. Now, the parties will still have a caucus system here in Washington, but that will be just figuring out who is going to go to the national convention and who they'll cast their ballots for on the floor of their national conventions. So that's exciting for Washington voters because we're going to see tremendous turnout, I think, um, uh, because I believe that by uh, March 10th that we still won't know who the nominee is on the Democratic side, and that's going to mean our, our voters are going to have a real voice in, in choosing that and helping the party uh, know who to vote for when they get to the floor of their convention. So um, I'm excited for our voters, and I think we're going to see turnout somewhere between 40 and 50 percent in our presidential primary, as opposed to the 2 to 3 percent of people that went to caucuses four years ago. That's, that's an incredible difference. It I mean, is. so why hasn't the state gone to this before? I mean, that's up to the parties, though, isn't it? The, the the state has gone to, to it in 1992 by initiative to the legislature the state created a presidential primary the political parties I think were very conflicted because they are concerned that people that aren't members of their party could cross over and, and participate and vote for um, candidates that may not be the you see that in dozens of other states ex already exactly and and it's it's one I've been fighting for this since 1992 feel very strongly that a presidential primary is inclusive it allows everyone to vote in the way they used to, whereas caucuses require people to be somewhere on a Saturday, spend anywhere from a couple hours to dozens of hours in some cases, arguing with their neighbors about politics and religion. And most people just don't want to do that. Um, so I think this is going to be a, a far greater um, um, system for our voters to engage in. It's exciting to see uh, both parties using the results. So now when a voter participates in the presidential primary, it's going to be meaningful. So how, how does it change? I mean, do you have to pull a Republican ballot or a Democratic ballot or an independent ballot? How does it work? Also, now uh, with the changes in our state law, uh, you are going to have to publicly declare that you are a Republican or a Democrat, and you're going to have to vote that ticket when you get to your ballot materials. So if you say you're a Democrat, you're going to have 13 different candidates to choose from. Some of these candidates have already suspended their campaigns, but the party had to give us a list back in January, so this is the official list. Uh, as a voter, you pick one of those, and then you attest an oath that says, I'm a Democrat, and um, I want to vote in this primary. And if all those things line up, your ballot will be counted, and those are results reported. On the Republican side, you have um, one choice, and that is uh, President Trump or Biden. And then um, on the Democratic side, you also have the option for an uncommitted uh, delegate. And what this means is that you're saying as a voter in the Democratic Party, I don't know who our frontrunner is going to be by the time we of our national convention. So I trust the delegate that's going to go there on my behalf to vote for who they think is best. And so if you choose uncommitted, that delegate can vote for whoever they want to on the floor of the convention. If you choose a, a, an actual candidate, they have to vote for that candidate. So, so how are the delegates then apportioned here? Or is that a question of the party? That is a, that's, 
that is a party function. So remember, we are nominating the standard bearer for the, the Democrats in Washington State for their national party. And so the, the national party rules will take over. And uh, I believe Washington State has a, a percentage of delegates or a number of delegates. And then their party rules determine how those will be divided up based on the outcome of the presidential primary. So if, if someone voted for no preference and they wanted to trust the delegates that's going there, couldn't then party rules overrule that and then apportion the delegates to whomever won? I, again, that's up to the, the uh, state Democratic Party rules, and I think that they've already kind of vetted all of those different <laughs> scenarios and, and have that, but, but certainly I would say voters could contact the Washington State Democrats and check with them on exactly how uh, their delegates are going to be allocated based on the outcome of the primary. We have to take a quick commercial break, but we'll have more with Secretary of State Kim Wyman when the Como Politicast continues after this. Information is power. Everything you need to know before you get to work. The Como Morning News on the Northwest's only all-news station. Como News 1000, FM 97.7, and ComoNews.com. Welcome back to the Como Politicast. I'm Jeff Pogela. We've been talking with Secretary of State Kim Wyman about the changes to the presidential primary system here in Washington State. To the issue of picking Republican or Democratic ballot, this is something that Washington voters for decades had. Do you feel that this may be a reason for people to not participate in the process because they have to declare a party? Oh, I, I think you're going to see that. I think that's my biggest frustration with this primary. Uh, one of the things I wanted to be be put in state law was the unaffiliated option. So voters uh, who don't want people to know their party affiliation could still participate, have their vote counted, and the parties could choose if they wanted to use those results or not. We've done this a few times, but the legislature did not see it that way, and so now you have to pick one or the other. And I can tell you, Washington voters hate that. They do not want people to know their party affiliation by and large. Uh, we have a lot of people who work in professions where it's detrimental. Um, there are people that work in Olympia for a partisan elected official and they don't want that person to know their party affiliation. We have people that might belong to a church or a union who don't want their, you know, their associates to know their party affiliation. People in the news media may not want people to know which way they lean. And so um, that's probably my biggest frustration with the, the new presidential primary law. In fact, I think I'm going to be boycotting it this year myself and ruin my perfect voting record um, because I, in, in the Republican side of the uh, ticket, there's one choice. So it's very hard for me to protect the secrecy of my ballot. I either have done a write-in or I have voted, voted for uh, President Trump to be the nominee. And either way, I have to publicly disclose that for someone to, you know, to know. And I think I'm going to, uh, to abstain from voting in this election for that reason because um, I really think that we should have had an unaffiliated option. But So who gets that information? Uh, actually, that information will be public for 60 days. Uh, so if you choose a Democratic ballot or a Republican ballot, uh, that, that will be a list that will be available to the public, and people will be able to tell what your party affiliation was at least on that day. And will they be able to tell who you voted for, or is no. that still secret? The, the, who you voted for will still be kept secret, but um, which side of the, the aisle you chose will be a public record. And, and I assume that the parties are all in favor of this, because then they get the, the mailing list, 
artists and, and potential donors and supporters and all of that. Was were they a, a big force in, in getting that part of the initiative passed or that part of the law passed? I can't say because that that would have been between the parties and the legislature. But um, but the political parties do get a very nice list of people that have self-identified publicly as a Democrat or Republican, and that's very very rich information in a state where you don't register by party. And, and what have you heard from voters about this? Uh, we haven't heard yet because ballots haven't gone out. But once they go out, I guarantee you the county election offices and my office, the phones will light up because people get very angry about this election. They are offended that they have to say their political party uh, to the public and they don't want it to be on public record. And so they have this tough choice to make. Like me, you either have to not participate or you participate and then everyone knows what your party affiliation is. And our voters don't like that. So this obviously is something that needs to be fixed if you want to use that term. Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously the parties Correct. like it. Some, some <laughs> voters obviously don't. Uh, by the legislature, is that something you're going to be pushing for? Oh, well, well definitely. Uh, you know, if I get reelected in uh, in 2020 and I'm here in the 2021 session we will uh, we will drop legislation to try to reinstate the unaffiliated option uh, we did it two years ago and it fell on deaf ears but we'll keep fighting because the voters are very clear on what they want so what about the, the mechanics of this uh, we're also an all vote by mail state so are people going to get a Republican ballot and a Democratic ballot and then they just pick which one to fill out and send in is that how it works well we've worked closely with the counties to try to be very consistent across the state. So uh, as a voter, you're going to receive an, um, an outer mailing envelope that will have two oaths on it, the Democratic Party oath and the Republican Party oath. And then you as a voter have to select one of those two and sign it, attesting that you are a member of that party. And then when you get to your ballot materials, it will be a single ballot. Uh, one column will be the Democratic column, and it will have all the Democratic nominees in alphabetical order. And then the other column will be the Republican column, and that will have Donald Trump and write in and um, as a voter you have to just stay on the same side of the ballot as the oath that you you marked so what happens if, if, if you cross over does that negate the ballot it does so if, if you say that I'm a um, I'm a Republican and then you think you're gonna be sneaky and cross over and vote for a Democrat in the sorting process at the county level um, before they ever open your envelope they physically sort out the ballots by the Republican stack and the Democratic stack and so when they separate your name from the ballot and they actually open it and you've crossed over it, they will not count that ballot because you didn't you didn't vote on the Republican side. So with, with all of these changes, you, you know, switching from a caucus to a primary, obviously that increases participation, but then having to declare would turn a lot of people off. Mm -hmm. And I know you don't like giving out numbers or guesses, but, but what do you think we're going to have for a turnout? I think on the Democratic side, you're going to see really robust turnout because um, we will follow Super Tuesday. And right now, as things are shaping up, it's still pretty wide open. I know that we have a couple candidates that are leading, but you know, by the time we get to the m middle of March, it, it still could be wide open. And so I think you're going to see really solid turnout. Uh, we had about 800,000 Democrats uh, who picked a ballot in our, our last election in 2016, even though it didn't matter. Even though the party wasn't using those results, 800,000 people chose it anyway. Um, I think you're going to see big numbers. I, I would hope that we would have over a million on the Democratic side. And then Republicans, it'll be interesting to see because uh, with only one choice, it's uh, it, we're right now trying to figure out how do you keep voter secrecy when you only have one candidate on the on the ballot. But we're working through that with our attorneys. So, um, I, But I would anticipate we're going to see good turnout on the Republican side. We had about 600,000 
thousand uh, people participate, and by the time we had our primary last time, Donald Trump was going to be the nominee because everyone else had dropped out. So, you know, that was six hundred thousand people, and it didn't matter. We have to take a quick break, but when we come back, coronavirus and how it has spooked investors. When the Como Politicast continues after this. Everything you missed while at work, update and unwind on the way home. The Como Afternoon News on the Northwest's only all-news station. Como News 1000, FM 97.7, and comonews.com. Welcome back to the Como Politicast. I'm Jeff Podula. It's been a rough week on Wall Street as investors react to news about the coronavirus. The Dow Jones Industrial Average down thousands over the course of the week. But what does this mean for you and I? Joining us now is Caleb Silver. He is the editor-in-chief of Investopedia in New York. This doesn't seem like something that happens a whole lot. You have a disease, an outbreak that's causing trouble with the financial markets. How are these two connected? Well, what it's really doing is causing a, a slowdown in global supply chains, a slowdown in travel or in complete elimination of travel. Some uh, companies are, are canceling conferences. They're prohibiting their, uh, prohibiting their employees from traveling uh, by air, from going to Asia, Europe, and other places. So it's a supply chain slowdown. And that supply chain slowdown is leading to revenue shortfalls in the first quarter, which means lower profits. And that translates into lower stock prices. When investors see that, lower, that profits are going to be lower or no profits at all in the first quarter, they start to sell. And that's what's been happening. But thousands upon thousands of points over the course of the week, that's fairly unusual. The, the aggression and the extremity of the sell-off has been surprising. And a lot of it, to be honest, has been powered by what we call algorithms. Some of the biggest financial institutions on Wall Street and around the world have software programs that are triggered to sell when they hear certain keywords or when stock levels hit a certain level. So we've seen price swings of 800, 900 points in a day that we've never seen before. That's shocking. That's not you and me going to our broker and making a trade or, or going online and making a trade on our handheld. That is uh, software algorithms powering trades, multi-millions of dollars in a second, and then the rest of the market catches up with it. So the aggression, the velocity has been very intense this week. Now, the average person isn't a trader, isn't deeply involved in the day-to-day operations of the stock market. How is this going to affect that person? the average American? The average investor, the individual investor, like me, like you, uh, can only sit back and watch this happen. But what we shouldn't try to do is catch a falling knife and try to time this market and know when to sell and when to buy. If you are invested for the long term, and I'm talking about 2, 5, 10, 15, 20 years, leave your money where it is as long as it's invested in a place where you're comfortable with the risk. If you're not comfortable with the risk, you shouldn't be in the stock market to begin with. But for the individual investor, this is a good time to sit back, let this settle, and then make a re-entry into the market and make sure your risk uh, tolerance is appropriate for the securities that you've chosen for yourself. Because this, stocks on average go up 68% a year. Could this be defined as a correction? This is absolutely a correction. A correction, as we call it, an Investopedia is a 10% decline from the most recent highs. So we were at all-time highs just a week ago. We've had a violent sell-off this week and a lot of volatility. So we were in a correction. We were headed lower. It's hard to say when this is going to stop, but eventually it will. Markets always return to the mean eventually. You just can't time it. 
and then you got to reset your portfolio and make sure you're you're allocated appropriately. Uh, do you think we're headed to another crisis like in 2008? It's hard to say. I don't because what what caused the crisis in 2008 was a lack of liquidity and lend borrowers that were overextended. We don't have a lot of those problems right now. We had a market that was very highly valued. Stocks rose 30% in 2019. This is a super cooling off, but it also depends on how long and how deep this coronavirus lasts and how many people it affects because it's pretty widespread and global health officials don't have a handle on it quite yet. And I know it may sound a little flippant, but we were talking in the newsroom earlier today. Are there any stocks or companies like Clorox or pharmaceuticals that are benefiting from this? Sure. So we've seen movements in stocks, whether they're smaller stocks that are pharmaceutical stocks that may be working on some sort of a cure. Um, but I would not bet on those because those move very quickly and you never know if that's true or not. Clorox was on the rise today, but then fell abruptly. So you can't depend on that. There was one stock in the S&P 500 that actually rose throughout the course of the week, and that was called Regenerin Pharmaceuticals, that said a few weeks ago that it was working uh, on, on some form of a cure with the uh, HHS. So that's the only stock that actually performed well this week. I can't tell you that's going to perform well next week. It's been a very thin market for stocks that have done well. So bottom line, your advice to the everyday consumer? Sit back, let this play out, and when it does, and it will eventually, it's a good time to reset, make sure your risk uh, tolerance is appropriate for the securities, the stocks that you have in your portfolio, but invest for the long term because the stock market is the best place to achieve returns over time. All right, Caleb Silver, Editor-in-Chief of Investopedia, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. And that will do it for this episode of the Como Politicast. My thanks to Secretary of State Kim Wyman and Investopedia's Caleb Silver. If you like the show, please leave a rating and a review. It helps with our rankings and helps others discover the program. And be sure to check out some of the other podcasts from Como News, including our hourly news updates, Life Beat with Marina Rockinger, and for all things Washington Huskies, subscribe to the Thursday Night Doghouse with Bill Swartz. All are available at comonews.com slash podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jeff Podula. Thank you for listening and have a good week.